He's got a beautiful backswing. That's, oh, he got all of that one. Oh my gosh. That is amazing. Lay up with an iron into the hazard. Well, that wasn't quite what I meant, you know. What's up, everybody? Welcome into another edition of the 73rd Hole. Colby Powell, Taylor Williams, Sam Humphreys with you as always. We are the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. Head over to GolfOklahoma.org. Check out everything that they have to offer as the golf season is close to ramping back up here in the state of Oklahoma. OSU, OU, men's, women's. We've got the PGA Championship on the way. It's going to be an action-packed spring of golf here in the state of Oklahoma. Head over to GolfOklahoma.org. Gentlemen, the game is Back at the Century Tournament of Champions and breaking news as we come on the air this morning. Cameron Smith, John Rahm, and Matt Jones have all just made another birdie this morning at Kapalua, which was giving them up in droves this weekend. 32 birdies for John Rahm and an eagle. He, he makes one bogey in four rounds. Doesn't win the golf tournament. Cam Smith stares him down for 36 holes over the weekend. Takes the win by one. Taylor, start with you. Overall thoughts of Cam Smith's what really was a phenomenal win in a record low-scoring week at Kapalua. So you, you go to Cam Smith, right? We, we just Let me just read off this scorecard here just to say how good this was. 65, 64, 64, 65. And let me reiterate here. It's a par 73. I mean, obviously, Sam's played the course. He knows what it's like, but... I don't care what par it is. He's 34 under par. You look at Cam Smith, John Rahm, Matt Jones, who you just all talk about, Colby. Broke Ernie Ailes' record of the best 72-hole tournament ever in on the PJ Tour. 31 under was the record. Matt Jones eclipsed it at 32 under. Then you got John Rahm, 33, Cam Smith, 34 under. You add up all three of their rounds on the final round, Colby, and Sam, you're looking at 27 under for the three of them. That's averaging at nine under par for those guys. I mean... Is it, were they playing a 5,000-yard putt-putt course? That's what it seemed like. I mean, good God. I mean, these guys were making golf look easy. And you scroll down to it, too. Patrick Cantley finished fourth at 26-under. Very rarely do you see 26-under and you're not collecting half a million-dollar check and, and uh, Cantley fell short of that. I could not believe the golf I was seeing this week. Sam, what did you think? You're home sick over the weekend. You're sitting there watching this take place. What did you think? Yeah, I'm sitting there with COVID, and I'm just watching birdie after birdie after birdie. But what I saw was the fact that Kapalua has no defense when there's no wind. And so, to me, there, there's too many drivable holes out at Kapalua, you know, it, when there's no wind. And so, what I'm saying is, it's basically a par 67, even though the scorecard says it's a par 73. Do you guys agree? Yeah, I mean, it's 100%. Hard, yeah, it's hard not to. You look at the scoring average. The scoring average was just a shade under 67.2 for the week. Now, look, these guys are really good. I, I think that this is a testament to a lot of things. It's a testament to how good these guys have gotten, how good the equipment has gotten, the training, the strength training, the, the putt, putting training. All of this stuff has gotten just through the roof good to where you've got to be great at everything if you want to have a job on that tour. If you're not, you'll just no. be unemployed pretty quick. But still, what they did this week was a different level. I mean, if you shot 19 under, you were T-19. That was Sam Burns and Tony Finau. If you don't get to 20 under, you're not in the top 15 of the golf tournament. And, uh, I mean, Sam, it was just wild. Like we said, you've played there, so you know it a little bit. And, uh, yeah, when that wind doesn't blow, this golf course can't hold up. Yeah, there's wide fairways, and it's just a it's a birdie fest, and that's what it is. Um, and, and the other thing that I saw was that Cam Smith, Stared down the number one player in the world 
for two straight rounds, basically almost three straight rounds, and and got the job done. I mean, Cam Smith looks in better shape at the start of this year, and and he was. You heard uh, Brandel Chambly talk about it last night. He was a one thirteen mile per hour guy last year, and he was consistently one sixteen, one seventeen yesterday. He's gained more distance. And his short game looks impeccable after watching him at Kapalua. I think that Cam Smith could be in for a big year. Like I said, Hovland might be and Morikawa. And so Cam Smith, maybe major this year, boys? Colby, I got to ask you. We, we were texting on Friday night, I believe it was, and you're pretty much just saying how Cam is, is just fine. He's just fine. I mean, there, there's nothing special about Cam. Defend your point here, Colby. I got to hear it. Uh, I was... Five or six drinks deep, and I was just messing with you. Oh, okay, that works. I, I, I was, I, we were playing cards, and I was just kind of trolling you about Cam Smith in the uh, in the group text because I'd had a few beverages. I was I was having a good chuckle over it all. I was basically like, do it in a major, do it in a major. Cam Smith's a great player. He's top 10 in the world now, by the way. Highest ranking of his career. Goes from 21st to 10. Sam Burns, who I mentioned at 19 under. Congrats on your 19 under. You're no longer a top 10 player in the world. It's just the margin on that tour is so thin. And what it was for Cam this week, Cam, he's not a very good driver of the golf ball. Strokes gained off the tee. I don't know that he's been in the top 100 in strokes gained off the tee in the last five or six seasons. And this week, he was number one in the field in strokes gained off the tee, and he didn't lose his best attribute, which is putting. He still led the field in strokes gained putting. So, uh, I mean, Sam, guy leads the field in strokes gained off the tee, leads the field in strokes gained putting. What do you do with a guy who leads the field in both of those categories? I I mean, I guess you set a scoring record. Yeah, I mean, you should 34 under. 34 under. I can't get over that, boys. 34 under. I don't care if you're going out and playing the purple tees from JR's at nighttime from the fringe. I don't care. 34 under? My goodness. You said from the fringe. Playing them from the friends. Yeah. A couple of those that, holes that, out there. That's you, what the burples are. A couple of the holes burples. Out. You ever gone out and played the burples? The bur- No. At JR's? The burples. That's where you tee up from the fringe. No, I've never done that. I've only played JR's once. Uh, it was at night, and it was fun. It was a blast. JR's was awesome. That sounds like my type of tees to play there. Tee it up from the fringe? D- does the par stay <laughs> the same is my question. Yeah, the par stays the same. It doesn't have to be at a par three course to play the burples. You can play the burples anywhere. I, I got. I got, I'm gonna have to sign up for that. So what my handicap would be from the burples. Probably the same. Probably be about the same. Probably catching two. Yeah, so, I need. I need my pops. So, guys, I mean, one thing that I've heard a lot of people talk about, and Sam, you played there, so I want to know your opinion. I think the way to solve the scoring issue at Kapalua is pretty simple. Just make five and fifteen par fours. And just make every so that just make everyone's under par eight mo, eight less. Is that not just a simple solution for all these people talking about how there's too many birdies out there? Well, I think the thing about Kapalua though, T Dub, is that if the wind blows the other way, you could make you know almost eighteen a par four, and then make you know <laughs> different holes par fours and par fives on different days depending on what direction the wind blows. But all of them are basically par fours when there's no wind. And so that's what you saw. Plus, you have, you know, the drive, two drivable par fours, even though they weren't really going uh, for, what is it, 15 on the back nine? They were 14. going, or is it 14? 14 they were going for, though. What's the, is it, 
is it 16 on the back nine? Sorry, I don't have it right in front of me. Uh, 12 is a drivable par four. It was playing 294, I think, most of the week. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so basically, that's what I'm saying is there's two drivable par fours, and then and then you have all the par fives that are basically par fours, so it's basically a par 67, but it's still 34 under? I mean, it... <laughs> It's not. It's not like these guys were going out and and just playing the easiest course in the world. I think that they were playing great golf too. Yeah, like you said, Taylor, five and fifteen were par four. Was a par four instead of a par five. Then uh, John Rom for the week would have played those eight holes. You played one four times, so five and fifteen as par fours. He'd have played them at even. So he played. He played just those two holes at eight under for the week. And I'm watching the tournament all week. I hear people talking about these crazy low scores. Uh, you know, your dad even texted me, and he's like, "Oh man, they got to find somewhere else to play this thing. It's just, just turning too much of a birdie fest." And I love Kapalua. I love competitive golf tournaments. One of the most entertaining tournaments last year was at Caves Valley, where everybody just seemed like they were birdieing every other hole. If it's a competitive golf tournament, score to par is so relative. To me, the seventh hole out there is a 584-yard par four. John Rahm went birdie, 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 par the four days. It's a 584-yard par four. He was having a seven iron in pretty much every day, and he birdied it three out of the four days. Part of this is that guys are getting better because they're training more. They have more information, more technology. Guys are getting better. Scores are getting lower. Ernie L shot 31 under here in 2003, and nobody wanted to move it. These guys are good. It's okay for these guys to be good. Score to par is relative. Colby, I could not agree more. And it was 16th. 16th, another one that they weren't going for. They were hitting three wood and kind of laying like 100 yards, 60 yards back. And uh, and then does, my point here is, is there any better finishing holes than 17 and 18 as far as entertainment? I mean, 17 is a hard par four, even though those guys were making it look easy. It's a hard par four straight down the hill, one of the most scenic holes you'll ever see. And 18 is the same way, whether you think it's a par four or a par five. Basically, 18 is electricity on the last hole. And so 17 and 18, and then you add 16, the risk-reward element. I think it's a great three-hole finishing stretch, maybe underrated because it's not one of the hardest on tour. But I think as far as entertainment, I thought it, I thought you you got the best winner and you got the second best player in John Rahm this week. You had Matt Jones who shot 32 under. Like he said, he goes, (laughs) exactly. We're going to be pounding that button today. Matt Jones goes, if you would have told me at the start of the week that I shot 32 under, I would have sat in the clubhouse with a martini and said, well, I'll let you guys go play and take my chances. (laughs) And he he finished third. Uh, So, uh, you know, to me, to me, Kapalua is great. Who cares what they shoot? There was no wind, and it was soft, and it was ball in hand the first two days. So, so what? So what? I couldn't agree more. And th- here's something I thought was interesting about this week, and it just goes to show. The first two days, like you mentioned, Sam, they're playing lift, clean, and place. And you notice th- that the scores didn't seem to be as low on Friday or Thursday and Friday as they were, especially on Saturday when you had Rom and um, and JT shooting 61 along with Matt Jones shooting 62. It was weird to me that they started shooting those lower scores even lower than they were the day that they stopped doing ball in hand. And the reason is because the wind completely died down. At least the first two days, there was at least 10-mile-an-hour, 15-mile-an-hour wind. There was no wind on the weekend. So it goes to show that... An- Go ahead, Sam. 
Another thing you have to uh, – just one more point to add to that, T-Dub, is the fact that those greens are set up for heavy winds. And so there's not much undulation and there's not much, you know, it, it, there's not much stem on those greens. And so those greens are pretty slow and they're pretty flat. And so if those guys are hitting it within 10, 15 feet, you know, their chances go way up uh, for making those putts as well. And so I think you saw a lot of that too, of guys converting birdies and eagles. I had never seen in my – and it's unbelievable to look back on it and say that he beat the record 31 under par, still didn't win at 33. I'd never seen a player be in contention and leave so many 8- to 10-footers six inches short dead in the heart of the hole. I've never seen it before. Have any of y'all ever seen that? He left like five of them on the weekend, dead in the heart, dead short. Yeah, it was it was definitely odd to watch that. It's funny, Taylor, you, you mentioned five and 15, and people are talking about the wind a lot. We should also note they've had more rain than usual. Of course, was not as hard and fast as it usually is. Some of these balls that might run out sometimes into the rough or into some of these native grass areas weren't running out. They were just stopping and sticking because the course was softer than usual. Greens were more receptive than usual. That played into the scores as well. But we looked at John Rahm's scorecard on 5 and 15. Let's look at Cameron Smith's scorecard on 5 and 15. If both these holes were par 4s, they're not. They're par 5s. If they were par 4s, Cameron Smith would have played them 3 under for the week. He played holes 5 and 15 alone at 11 under. He played number 5, 6 under for the week. Two eagles, two birdies. He played number 15, 5 under for the week. Three birdies and an eagle. So, I mean, again, to me... Score to par is totally relative. We got a wildly entertaining finish on the back nine with uh, what seemed like two and then ended up being three guys in contention after Matt Jones holes out at 13. Matt Jones, Matt Jones, But it is crazy to see a guy go 11 under on two holes for the week. Uh, Sam, what about... Your picks, I mean, at some point we're going to have to talk about it, Sam. You're on a heater all fall. Let, let me just break this down for the people. So this is a 38-man field, 38 guys. Sam, you picked the 14th-ranked player in the world in Harris English. You picked the 22nd-ranked player in the world in Jason Kokrak, and you did not have a finish inside the top 30. <laughs> Sam, Sam, what happened? I, it was the kiss of death. We talked about it on the last show. We all put Jason Kokrak in our DraftKings lineup, and he finished DFL. And not only him, but Harris English. Harris English goes out and finishes tied for 30th. I mean, he wasn't even positive strokes gained in anything. I mean, my God, what are these guys doing? Phil Mickelson. Didn't he, neither of these guys beat Phil Mickelson. Oh, my gosh. What a freaking joke. But, boys, there was one, one other thing that I wanted to add to that uh, as far as the tournament goes. The one thing that I wish would have happened that would have made it even more entertaining would have been John Rahm making that putt at 15. He just didn't quite hit it hard enough. Or the one at 16, everyone was leaving that putt short because normally that's dead downhill, dead downwind, and it was just fooling those guys. It was a little slower than normal. But if he would have made one of those two putts, then I think we could have seen pure, you know, electricity and a playoff between Cam Smith. And I think that Cam Smith still would have came out on top. He was rock solid this week. And uh, so you got to give it up to him. And, and, you know, to me, the question I want to ask is, is Cam Smith maybe taking that next step to being elite? 
I think he is. Don't you? I mean, I thought he was on his way at the. Um, well, like I mentioned with Kobe when he was apparently messing with me when he was drunk. That <laughs> I, you know, Cam Smith's the only player to shoot all sixties at Augusta. That is the most baller thing ever. They they give out a green jacket every year. No player has ever done that. He's the only one. It is more. It is. He's more rare to do that than it is to make a double eagle at Augusta Did or that, a hole in one. Wasn't I taking majors away from DJ Friday night too? Yeah, you said he had point five or something when he had two. <laughs> yeah, you you got into some pretty uh, pretty lucrative stuff on the weekend, Colby, for sure. I, I thought mean, I was making strong so, points at the time. So, now, T-Dub, you're now. saying, Go ahead, T-Dub, you're saying that you're you're saying that when the weather is soft and the course might be playing a little longer, you might not look toward a bomber. You might look toward Cam Smith because when the conditions are easy, Cam Smith dominates. His cup of tea is. 30 under, 20 under, tournaments like that. Well, and, and like I mentioned earlier, Sam and uh, Brandel talked about this some last night on Golf Central after the tournament was over. Cam Smith, not a good driver of the ball over the last five years. That's been the weak spot of his game. Fairways are so wide at Kapalua. Also, there are so many slopes at Kapalua. We've got this on right now behind us, Taylor. Look at the 15th hole, John Rahm and Cameron Smith. They just panned out. But John Rahm's on top of the hill. Cameron Smith's at the bottom of the hill, 60 yards in front of him. John Rahm's much longer off the tee than Cameron Smith is, but Cameron Smith was taking a lot of good angles off the tee, and he was catching some of these slopes. So whereas John Rahm might carry it 15 yards past it, him, Ron would take a different angle, and then Cam Smith would carry it 15 yards shorter, and he'd be 30 yards closer to the pin. So it, it just kind of everything set up perfectly. I do feel like Cam is starting to take that next step. Um, look, guys, it's tough to go from the Cam Smith, Louis Oosthuizen, Harris English, Tony Finau. It's hard to go from being one of those guys to being Rom Morikawa or DJ. So I don't know that he's like on the verge of being Rom Morikawa or DJ, but I do think that he's a guy who we could stick see stick around in the top 15 of the OWGR for a few years because he's a really good player. He's clearly done a lot of speed training and stuff and gotten his speeds up. So uh, you know he's putting in the work in the offseason. Yeah, I think he could stick around in the top 15 or so for a while. Taylor, what do you think of, of Cam and his rise? Over, over the last 12 months, where do you think Cam ranks in strokes gain total? Out of every player. Strokes gained total? Strokes gained total. Last 12 months. Uh, last 12 months, I would say 21st. Oh, I think it's better than that. He had a great, great season last year. Uh, off the tee was his only real weak point. I'm going to say 8th. 4th. 4th. Really? Wow. One spot. One spot surprising. Ahead of, here's some of the guys that he... The, the three that are above him are Rom, Cantlay, and Daniel Berger. Just, just rattle off the whole top 10, because this is of interest, I think. Rom's number one, Cantley two, Berger three. Then you got Cam Smith at number four. Here's the guys that are below him: JT, Paul Casey, Morikawa, Louis Hovland, Spieth, DeChambeau, uh, Shoffley, Scheffler, DJ Webb, Sam Burns, Rory. I don't know how many I've gone through. That's more than ten. Wow. Um. So and and just to to write off the numbers here. So Rom's at two point three eight. Cantley's uh two point one seven. They've got a kind of bit of a gap above everyone else. Burger's at one point eight seven. Then you got Cam Smith at one point seven five. Then you drop down to one point six eight, and that's uh that's JT and Paul Casey. So I think that. Cam's play has been truly stellar, in all honesty. I think he's – just because he – this is what is – not his first win, obviously, but this is kind of his biggest win, right? Uh, I mean, he did Definitely win. biggest. Yeah. So, I mean, he didn't – he could have won a playoff event last year when I picked him, and he hit it in the Hudson Bay at Liberty National. That ball is still floating away in the middle of the Atlantic hey, Ocean somewhere. But that's the thing that I wanted to talk about about Cam Smith is he's battle-tested now. He has experience not quite getting the job done after playing great throughout weeks. 
And I think that he's kind of learning to have that clutch gene. I mean, he just stared down John Rom for two straight rounds, and he shot eight under in the on Sunday. I mean, the guy, I think, is learning, and I think that instead of having those defeats kind of get in his head, he just took it as a learning experience, and that's one thing that really impresses me about Cameron Smith. Yeah, you know the old expression, it's just kind of cliche, you have to walk before you can run? How about a new golf expression? I mean, sometimes you have to choke before you can breathe. I mean, everybody looks at a, a loss like the one Cam Smith took last year in the playoff where he, he sprays one right out of bounds in the playoff. I mean, it, it was a terrible golf shot, and everybody looks at it, and yes, it's this major disappointment, and it's this the worst time ever to make that swing. Guys learn from that. Guys get better from that. So, yes, in the moment, that hurts and that stings, and, and that's a bad golf shot, and you just want it back. But Cameron Smith has built up some of that scar tissue. He's learned what you do when you lose. Now he's learned what you do when you win. These things kind of add up. So sometimes you have to choke before you can breathe, and that's okay. That's The, the, the word choke, we give it too much power. Guys choke, and you know what? They learn from it. They get better. And they play better golf. So what were, what were you going to say, Taylor? You look like you had a point to make. There I was just gonna, I, I was just gonna, I was going to say that because um, going on to y'all's points about how he's able to get battle tests and come back. He shot eight under on the first round and looked like he was coasting. Comes on bogeys one and two next day, Friday. And then what does he do after that? Proceeds to shoot even better in the second round than he did on the first round. He shoots nine under. And he bogeyed the first two holes. If that doesn't show you got some minerals and that you can come back and that you just – because at that point, you just got to trust the process, right? You start off with two hey, bogeys. We you did. shot eight under before. Go ahead, Sam. We did have a sneaky choke this weekend, though. Who was the sneaky choke, Sam? It wasn't, it wasn't a player. It was Noda Begay. One of the worst calls on the back nine of all time. One of the most painful broadcasts to listen to. I've ever heard. We have John Rom hit an eight iron to 15 feet. Basically, you know, the only place you can hit it on that green to give yourself a look. And he's like, oh, that was lackluster. You know, he pulled it. He tugged it left. Oh, boys, this is looking left. It, it landed like seven feet left of the hole. And then we go to 18. And both guys hit it down the right center of the fairway. Their balls end up on the left center of the fairway and he's like oh man he's lost this right oh cam smith lost it right too watch out boys this could be in the right stuff over there what a moron i mean literally what is he looking at i don't even know how does he even have a job tiger yes to answer your question yes i purposely because the golf was so great this week I purposely wanted to wait till after break to absolutely obliterate the Golf Channel coverage. It's the worst thing for any golfer. I feel sorry for golfers that tuned in purposely for the first time to watch this golf tournament. Such great golf, and the announcers made it the worst. I'm going to keep going after the break because I'm not diluting from the great golf that was played, but the broadcasting was so bad it was unbelievable. How about this, guys? And, and by the way, Sam, I just want to touch on a point you made. We watched... Matt Jones and Daniel Berger come through in the previous group. They had 319 and then 312 yards to the hole on 18. And notice talking about how bad Rom and Cam Smith's tee shots were. They both were 276 or closer. It, it's Their balls rolled all the way down the hill forever. It, it was just, it was super weird. How about the fact, look, the playing through stuff, I, I get playing through for advertisements. You've got to make your money. I, I totally understand the money side of the broadcast. But... There are ways to work commercials into golf broadcasts where we don't have to go playing through 
while both of the lead groups are on the 18th hole of the tournament. We've got these guys on the 18th hole. Matt Jones waiting to hit his three-wood. They're on the tee. The group in front of them's coming in. This is a great chance for us to see the hole, see the pin placement, hear them talk about what these guys in the final two groups are going to be facing as they try to eagle this hole and win a nearly $1.5 million and everything that comes along with it. And we're watching it on an 8-inch by 8-inch screen on the side of my 65-inch TV because we're playing through. (laughs) I I understand playing through. You have to make your money on the broadcast. I will never understand playing through on the 72nd hole of a golf tournament. I'll never understand it. I I watched Justin Thomas finish out on 18 on playing through, and he finished tied for fifth in the golf tournament. It's it's absolutely abysmal. There, there's no defending it at all. I have to wait till after the break because I'm going to talk for I'm going to rant for 20 minutes. Okay, so. then let's take a break. We've got more to get into. We'll take a break. Come back. There's some other guys, some pretty good performances uh, that we haven't talked about from this week. Uh, we'll talk about mine and, and Taylor's one and done picks as well, since we gave Sam a little bit of grief. All that and much much more coming up on the other side. Stay with us here on the 73rd hole, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. When something the size of a golf ball hits your roof, you need to call McRae Roofing. McRae Roofing is Oklahoma's designer roofing service specialist. For years, Jeff McRae and the experienced team at McRae Roofing and Exteriors have served fellow Oklahomans by helping them with their roofing needs. McRae Roofing uses only top quality materials and professional crews to make sure that each job is done right so it will give you the years of service, security, and protection you need from the unpredictable Oklahoma weather. McRae Roofing offers residential and commercial roofing, ventilation services, and custom copper designs. McRae Roofing is dedicated to exceeding the homeowner's expectations. It's not just a roof, it is your home's crowning glory. Call McRae Roofing today at 405-692-4000. That's 405-692-4000. Make sure to also visit their website at mcrayroofing.com. That's M-C-R-A-Y roofing.com. Don't get caught with a leaking roof. Contact McCray Roofing for your free inspection today. Welcome back. Rolling along here on the 73rd hole. Colby Powell, Taylor Williams, Sam Humphreys with you. Official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. Head over to golfok.org. Follow us on Twitter at the 73rd hole. Instagram, 73rd hole. And wherever you are listening to this podcast right now, subscribe, rate, give us five stars. Uh, We like to think we podcast the way Cam Smith played golf this week. Pretty good. Pretty, pretty, pretty good. Uh, Taylor, you had just another thought or two on the broadcast this week, which we did get a lot of golf. Shout out ESPN Plus. You had some thoughts. I'm gonna I'm gonna start off by saying that just on your point there, Colby. ESPN Plus so far is a home run, and they haven't even started all their coverage yet. I mean, they're gonna have marquee group, featured group, featured holes. It's gonna be unbelievable. And the the actual coverage, what people talked about, was. 50 million times better than the Golf Channel. And so, By the way, Andy North on ESPN Plus is also nice. I, I don't know about y'all. I like Andy North. He, he's definitely a lot better than anyone on the damn Golf he's Channel. Solid. So, all right, here we go. I'm going to dive into the atrocity that was the Golf Channel coverage. And listen, guys, I watched so much golf this this tournament because I was just excited. We got golf back, Century Tournament Champions. I love Kapalua. I, I think it's a beautiful place. I love looking at the views. If I hear one more time that they outlawed green readings books this year, I'm going to throw something through the television. No shit, they outlawed them. We've known that for a month. 
And you don't have to say it 10 times a broadcast. John Rahm on the 71st hole of the tournament missed a putt low. And then they're like, oh, well, maybe if you had a Green Rings book, it might have helped him. Did John Rahm ever read a Green Rings book his entire life? I don't remember ever seeing him doing it. And if he did, he probably doesn't need it that bad. Rahm last year advocated for the removal of the Green Reading books. But he would use it. It would help him on, on that hole. And I, God bless. It, and it, it, it was so bad. It, this is how bad it was. Any of y'all watching, you ever see where they put the level on the slope with the little uh-huh. phone on it? How many times do they do that of coverage? My wife, who do, who watches golf but not that seriously, said, oh my God, will they please stop showing this level? I know what it means by now. It's like, no, yes, we know what that means. There are slopes at Kapalua. You don't have to tell us every five minutes that there's a severe slope on this hole. We know that. You know what would be better than a level? Because a level doesn't really give us that much information. Like, okay, the bubble isn't in the middle. What would give us more information? Well, I'm thinking one of those little things that tell you the degree of the slope. Toss the little thing down that tells you the degree of the slope. Look down. Oh, it's a 38-degree slope. That gives me more information than placing down the same level on different slopes for four days. I want to know, did Noda use the same level on every hole? Did Noda have different levels? Like, did he have a front nine level and a back nine level? How many levels did Noda buy when he took the company credit card to Home Depot in Maui? I'm telling you right now. Whoever the sponsor was for the level made a huge mistake because I'm not here the brand of the level all tournament. We should have said this is our level scale presented by whoever makes levels. Yeah, I guess I shouldn't say Home Depot. Maybe he went to Lowe's. He could have. He could have. He could have went to Amazon. He could have went to Ace Hardware, uh, Hawaii Express, whatever Walmart, they got out there. I mean, Target. And also, guys, I gotta I gotta get into this because you brought up the playing through earlier, so I've got to rant about that as well. Okay, so I watch I watch mine through streaming, so I don't actually see playing through, but. 71st hole of the tournament, Matt Jones makes like a 50-foot putt to, to get closer to the lead. Really wasn't going to win, but still, great great chance and great putt to make. They come back from the break that I didn't get to see from the playing through, and I don't even know who the announcers is. They said 5,000 times he lives in Hawaii. I don't, I don't know his name, but nevertheless, he's like, guys, y'all aren't going to believe this. And it's before Matt Jones hits the putt. It's like the announcers, whenever uh, they don't show a live shot, they're like bragging that they saw it before the player that the viewers did. Yeah, it's like why don't they act like nothing happened? Because anytime you say, "Oh, just a second ago," or so and so, or y'all aren't going to believe this, we know what happens. He's going to make it. It takes all the drama out of it. Yeah, there's absolutely nothing wrong it with was, with going. And now we've got it, Matt Jones here at 17 with a long try for birdie. There's nothing wrong with just saying that and letting it play out. What were you saying, Sam? It was Mark Rolfing, by the way, that lives in Hawaii. Mark oh, Rolfing. yeah. Yeah, Rolfing lives out there. Yeah, and it's, god dang, I, I used to like Rolfing, but until this, it's so horrible. Then I want to get on to even more of this, all right? There was a time, it was I, it was somewhere in the middle of the back nine, it was one of Matt Jones' birdies. So he makes a putt. One of the players or caddies is trying to talk to him, and they're going to have a conversation. We don't get to hear what the conversation is because Steve Sands decides to say, well, Matt Jones is going to keep putting his foot on the pedal now, and then they change cameras. Why? No one cares, Steve Sands. Shut the hell up. You, you know what I hated? And they were doing this on Thursday. And ESPN Plus was great. But they did this a couple times on Thursday where they feel like they need to get something out. And the reality is we would rather hear a player caddy conversation. It was I think they were following Spieth or maybe it was Hovland on Thursday. And they kept, like, we'd have player caddy conversation. They'd be mid-player caddy conversation. And they'd throw out on the broadcast. They'd be like, Man, I, I didn't even need to show up today. It looks like these guys are doing all the work for me. They would still be talking. Player caddy would still be talking, and we'd interrupt the player caddy conversation to let everybody know that we've got a player caddy conversation happening. We want to hear the player caddy <laughs> conversation. I can't get enough 
player caddy. Sam, would you not want to hear TG and Mel Baker go back and forth between every shot for 18 holes? That's the broadcast I want to watch. It is, and I, I couldn't agree more with you guys. It's almost like these announcers took the offseason off as well, and they're a little rusty coming back. I mean, it, it was god-awful. And here, here's a little stat I got from uh, 538.com. This, this puts a little insight on, I think, what the problem is because Kobe hit the nail on the head with what I was thinking. So it says right here, it's basically minutes per broadcast of what's shown on the screen across the major sports. And so, looking right here, NFL, there's 18 minutes of, of essentially game time. Compared to 140 minutes of non-action and then 50 minutes of commercials. So you got 18 minutes compared to 140 minutes compared to 50 minutes of essentially no action going on. You've got 190 minutes of nothing going on. Golf is not that way. You should be able to flip through any player that you want and show a live shot at the moment. So you know what that means? Shut up, Golf Channel. Quit talking when people are hitting or when player and caddies are talking. You're ruining the broadcast. And I'm going to say this right now, guys. Y'all are going to have to let me know how the Golf Channel does the rest of the year. I'm muting it. I can't listen to it. The only reason I kept listening to it Saturday and Sunday is because I had to hear how much worse it was going to get. And it did. I'm not going to – I don't care if it makes the podcast worse. I cannot listen to them anymore. I'm going to hit you with the Anchorman gif. I don't believe you. I don't believe that you'll have the discipline because it would take <laughs> actual agree. discipline for an entire golf season to mute the TV every time it comes on. I think, not, I think you're going to try Only it. golf channel. Only golf channel. I think you're going to try it, and I think it's actually going to make your viewing experience worse because even if you're getting mad at the broadcast – I mean, you're still listening to the broadcast. No, y'all don't understand how bad this was. Y'all watch it, y'all understand. I'm, I'm going to have to mean, I can't do it. I cannot do it. I will break stuff in my house if I keep listening to the idiots on Golf Channel. See, and I was watching it this weekend actively breaking stuff in my house because we're remodeling and we're cleaning out a room to turn into a nursery. So <laughs> I, 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 I wasn't watching it as actively. I watched it all weekend, but we're doing stuff. We, we've got a bunch of stuff that we're doing. So I wasn't watching it as actively. So maybe I didn't, uh, didn't notice quite as much of it. You know what I did notice? I noticed that our good friends over at Ring Family Dentistry are the absolute best in the biz. They go out of their way to ensure all treatment is as comfortable as possible. They provide dentistry care the way Cameron Smith putts. Leading-edge technology delivering same-day crowns for more than 20 years. You want it, they've got it. Implants, clear aligner, orthodontics, they do it all. All decisions are made by the patient. If they can't show why treatment is needed, they will not prescribe it. They explain their opinion, answer any questions, and ultimately leave all decisions to the patient. Ring Family Dentistry. Give them a Google. Check them out here in the state of Oklahoma. Uh, Sam, you got a fun little Christmas New Year's gift, which is a golf trivia calendar, and you've got some golf trivia questions for Taylor and I. Now, these are multiple choice, so everybody bear with us as Taylor and I try to dominate the trivia world. Yeah, so we got to catch up here. Uh, and I was bored during COVID. I still think I do have COVID. I'm not sure. I'm going to test again today. Hopefully we get the negative vid test today, boys. Good luck. Good um, luck. So, so I was bored and I was looking at this calendar and I was like, we can make a segment out of this thing. So we got to catch up because obviously what what's the date today? Like the 10th? Uh, right? Yeah, more so, or less. Yeah, the 10th. All right. So we got, and each weekend is only one question. So we got about eight questions here. So we got to catch up and then we'll do a couple of show for the rest of the year. And we'll keep a tally between T-Dub and Colby. All right. So we have uh, first question. Arnold Palmer appeared on the 2020 U.S. postage stamp 
depicting him at which tournament. And you guys, I know I've already sent you guys these over the past couple of days, so you have to answer with your original answer so we can start the tally. So, Arnold Palmer appeared on the 2020 U.S. postage stamp depicting him at which tournament? The 1958 Pepsi Championship, the 1960 Masters, the 64 U.S. Open, or the 67 Thunderbird Classic? I said the 60 Masters, and I was wrong. I said the 64 U.S. Open, and that was one of the ones that I nailed. All right. So, Colby is up one to nothing. All right. So, what ball was invented in 1898, not 1998, but 1898, with its solid core wrapped tightly with rubber threads covered with a layer of gutta percha? The gutty, the haskell, the hump, shout out hump man, or the feathery? I said the feathery and I was wrong, and that's because I didn't know they played golf back in 1898. I've been listening to Sam for so long, I thought they started in 1985. Uh, I don't remember what I said, but I'm pretty sure I was wrong too. I said the I said the hump. I think. Yeah, I said the hump, and I think that was wrong too. It was the Haskell. The Haskell was invented in nineteen or in eighteen ninety eight. By the way, boys, we had a little stat pop up on the screen in nineteen sixty nine of the Century Tournament of Champions. Gary Player won at. Four under. He would have lost by 30 shots this week. Lee Trevino finished second at two under. Arnold Palmer was one over. Dave Stockton was one over. It was windy, Gene Littler was two over. It was windy. I checked Billy Casper was five over. You know who was eight over tied for 16th? Jack Nicholas tied with Tom Weisskopf. It was windy, Sam. Stop. Stop it. Those guys would not have been able to compete with the guys of today. Yeah, Sam was windy. All right. <laughs> Anyways, I had to get that out of there. Yes, Wendy. So, so continuing on here. Speaking of Jack Nicholas, he has a superstition that he'll never tee off unless he has exactly three blank in his pocket. Is it tees? Is it coins? Is it buttons? Or is it keys? I'm mad because I because I, I got this one wrong. I said tees, but I think it's coins. Yeah, this is the one that we should have gotten right that we didn't. I just I threw out tees as well, and it's not tees. It's coins. All right. Continuing on. By the way, three coins in your pocket, would I think, would be obnoxious. Are they all that's, the same coins? That's coin? insane to me. Like, are they quarters? Are they dimes? Because, I mean. I don't know. We'll have th- to look into it. Three quarters in your pocket? That's, I mean, that's jingling around. That's got a little bit of weight to it. You're going to feel three quarters in your pocket, I think. I, that's too many. That's too many. Three keys is normal. I think Jack wins three 19, coins 19. He wins 19 majors with one coin in his pocket. All those runner-ups, he could have converted <laughs> some of those into wins. I agree. All right, moving on. What course's famed Hill of Fame with its honorary honorary bronze plaques on living trees is a manifestation of its history? What course has the Hill of Fame? Spyglass Hill, Shinnecock Hills, Sand Hills, or Oak Hill? I actually knew this one before you said it. It was Oak Hill. I think I said Spyglass, maybe? I think you did. All right, yep. so it was Oak Hill. One uh, one. So what's that put the tally at? One to one. One whopping one one. Yeah, we're on fire. Well, right. We're like the golf channel announcers. We got off to a slow start. In our the defense, year. they're asking us about Haskell's created in nineteen eighty whatever. Eighteen. Eighteen ninety eight. All right, so we have the next question, and it says, "Who was the first to win a? Who was the first 
to win a senior PGA tournament without ever winning on the regular PGA Tour. I don't remember this. Alan Doyle, Dana Quigley, Walter Zimbriski, or it has never happened. Oh, I do remember this one now because I threw out a random guess, but I said it really confidently, like I was like I was sure of it, and I ended up being right. Yeah, I said Dana Quigley, and I was wrong. Now, they all did it, but it was Walter the Zimmer Zimbriski. My guy. All right. My guy. He was the first one to do it. He was one of my favorite players of that era. All right, this one's this one's a layup. According to the rules, is it legal or illegal if I ask what club you just hit with? Uh, you. It's technically legal if you ask after you've hit your shot. Uh, after you hit your, I'm, I'm assuming so, the, but, quest, but the question's illegal. I'm the assuming answer. the question is implying before you hit your shot. Yeah, I mean it, it's illegal either way, right? Yeah, well, it's illegal. Like if if Taylor and I are playing together. And we both tee off on a par three, and then we're walking to the green. I, I'm correct, Taylor. I can ask you what you hit on the tee. Yes, if I we believe, yes. If, yeah, if we both already hit. 99% really? sure, yes. I, yeah. I thought it was illegal either way. Okay. I, I think well, so. it is illegal. We'll, we'll double check. We'll, we'll circle back, but we'll, uh, we'll give us All both right. a tally there because we both would have gone illegal. All right. Well, what was Arnold Palmer's worst first-round score at the Masters? 82, <laughs> 85, 89, or 93. Y'all jumped the gun on this one. I didn't get to guess. Y'all had already given it away. I didn't think there's any way he shot higher than 82. Then Sam reminded me that golfers of that era could not compete today, so the scores were higher. Also, sometimes guys get old and they keep playing the Masters, so occasionally things get tough. Also, this was at the 1997 Masters, and scores were high on that front nine on Thursday. Tiger shot 40. I'll have you guys remember. <laughs> Arnold Palmer did shoot. 89 in 1997, and then he followed it up in 2001 with another 89, but that was in the second round. In his defense, right. I mean, he was old at the time, so yeah, eh, eh, that's fine. So we're all caught up to today, which brings me to the last question. Who was the first to win the Ontario Junior, Ontario Ladies Amateur, Canadian Junior Girls, and Canadian Women's Amateur Championships all in the same year. Jennifer Kirby, Nikki Campbell, Jessica Shepley, or Brooke Henderson? I'm going to go with Brooke Henderson. She's the only one from that list I know is from Canada. <laughs> so I'd have to go with that, too. You'd hate to accidentally throw out an Aussie because you don't know where she's from? Correct. We're going to both go Brooke Henderson. And you're both going to be wrong. It was Jennifer oh. Kirby in 2009. <sighs> that was my next guess. No, it wasn't. Jennifer Kirby. Those Jennifer- are kind of hard. These are very hard. Do we need? Can we get a cupcake? Here you go. Actually, you know, here, we'll do one more because we're not doing a show tomorrow. Okay, hit us. All right, last one. The deeper the club face, parentheses, more room up and down on the center than the side to side of the club face, in parentheses, <laughs> should the P be set higher or lower to the ground? What is this even asking? All right, the what deeper the, the club hell face. Are you trying to get us to answer here, Sam? <laughs> the huh? deeper the club face, parentheses, more room up and down on the center than the side to side, end parentheses, should the P be set higher or lower to the ground? Based on what you're saying, I'd assume higher. Yeah, because, because you're saying the deeper the club face. Because I it, guess it. I guess it's higher, but it doesn't matter. 
The, 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 if for anyone who wants to know a proper tee height for your driver, it, just, just relatively speaking, everyone's different, but you should have about half the ball above the top crown of the face and the bottom half below the face. So, in theory, the tee would be higher than the center because the face is taller. So, Yeah, that was a dumb question. It, you, it, you're going to get those when some non-golfer makes a golf trivia calendar. Yeah, that, that reminds me of like, uh, that's the equivalent of whenever you go out and you're like, who put this pin here? And it's like some 16-year-old high school kid who's never played a round of golf in his life. We, we've all played on those <laughs> pins. We've all played on those pins. You know what, guys? I think even though it's such a shitty question, I think that we should get a point for it, though. You got it right. <laughs> oh, you did. We're giving away points. We might even do a bonus point. No, no bonus points. <laughs> we're, we're like Capaloo. We're just giving out birdies. Just giving out birdies. Why not? Why not? By the way, speaking of just giving things out, I, I the weirdest stat that I saw all weekend, and there are explanations for it. So, Xander Schauffele, right? Xander Schauffele has won one PGA Tour event since 2018. That's four years ago, guys. It is 2022. He's won one tour event since 2018, and he's played at Kapalua five straight years. If that's not that's finesse, wild. if that's not finessing the system, I don't know what finessing the system is because he gets to go to Maui every year, and Xander's won one tour event since 2018. That's just flat out crazy. So because he because he got out the one year because of uh, COVID, so the, they the let COVID him year. Yep, they needed more players, so they let some. They went world ranking stuff, uh, and then he won the Olympics last year, which got him in. And there was another fluke one year that got him in. Well, obviously he won it in 2019. Oh yeah, yeah, so yeah. That got Okay, him back. yeah, yeah. So he won it in 2019. That's what got him back in 20. The COVID stuff in 20 got him there in 21. The Olympics got him there in 22. He wanted an event in 18, which got him there in 19. And then he won an event in 17, which got him there in 18. Crazy. Wild. And it's just one each year, too. Yeah. I mean, hey, good for him. Good for him. Hey, think smarter, not harder, baby. You're right. I mean, he's making his money. By the way, Xander, seventh-ranked player in the world. One win since 2018, seventh-ranked player in the world. Also, guys, can we talk about the phenomenon of John Rahm going stupid low just playing this out-of-his-mind, unreal golf, and somebody just goes out and beats him by one shot because they career it that week? Is it me, or does Rom not win nearly as often as he should? Because guys just go ridiculous on Rom. They career it, and he doesn't have very many wins lately. I mean, how many wins does he have? Um, I mean, I'm looking here. He won the U.S. Open last year. Before that, you have to go back to that BMW Championship against DJ in 2020, and then the Memorial a few weeks before that. I mean, before that, you're going back to the DP World Tour Championship in 2019 in Dubai. That's four wins ago for John Rahm, who's been easily the best player in the year, the best player in the world over the last 18 months. It's insane how hard it is to win on the PGA Tour, and for whatever reason... I mean, John Rahm can shoot 33 under, and somebody's going to go 34. It's a weird phenomenon that he's not hoisting more trophies. I totally agree. I mean, he kind of has that uh, almost Louis Eustazen vibe sometimes. Oh, no. He's, he's Louis at the top tier, where he's not losing because he's losing it. Somebody's just going one better. Like, I mean, Rahm didn't lose yeah. the tournament this week. He had one bad tee shot yesterday on number four. It crept into the tall grass by a foot. He has to pitch out sideways. He gets up and down from the fairway from 120 yards or whatever it was for par, but it cost him a shot. Cam Smith made birdie on that hole. It's just, it's one shot here, one shot there. I don't know, Taylor. Rom's going to get multiple victories this year. It seems like he has to, but we would have thought that last year. You know, he had the, the win at the Memorial wrapped up uh, before COVID got him. It's just, 
it's one thing or another. John Rahm is clearly the best player in the world while also not hoisting as nearly as many trophies as he should. Well, and this is interesting here, guys, looking at this. I would have never thought this, because y'all, y'all brought up great points about how Cam was able to look Rom number one player in the world in his eye and basically beat him. Rom only loses by one stroke, and in the final round, Cam gained 2.32 strokes off the tee. Rom only gained .19. For Rom being probably the best driver of the ball in the world, or at least one of the top five, for him to lose two strokes to Cam Smith on the final round whenever they're going head-to-head, it's pretty telling there, I think. And, you know, you look at it as well. Cam Smith lost almost a full stroke approach to green. Rom just gained uh, just a little bit over zero uh, points of a stroke. But still, I just think that's fairly interesting that Cam Smith clearly drove the ball so much better than Rom did yesterday. Yeah, and like I said, I mean, Brandle broke it down really well last night on Golf Central. It was the angles. I mean, Rom was taking wider angles on the fairway, and he was missing some of the slopes. And Cam was just taking these perfect angles, running down these slopes. And like I said, that's the, the very weakest point of Cam Smith's game, and it benefited him greatly at Kapalua this week. Let's talk about our picks, Taylor. We gave Sam some grief for his Kokrak and English. Uh, neither one of us lit it up this week, but not too bad either. You had Sung Jay and Sam Burns. Looked really good mid-Friday afternoon. Sam Burns. Turns into Double an Double 17, pars 18. My word. It was a brutal finish. He ends up going in 19th. Probably cost him, I don't know, 100K or so on those holes. Uh, and that trickles down to our one-and-done pool. So, Taylor with Sungjae and Sam Burns ended up with 340 last week. And then I had Mark Leishman and Patrick Reed. Patrick Reed was god-awful on Thursday. And then he... he Turned back into Patrick Reed at Kapalua the final three days. Uh, so I ended up with about 320. And in our pool, which has, what did we say, 100 and I can just scroll down to Sam. 126 participants. Sam's in 126. <laughs> the, uh, the, the two leaders this week had Cam Smith and Mark Leishman. So it could be done. It, you, it was possible to pick the winner and pick another high finisher. Uh, so a good week in the one and done. A lot of golf to be played in the one and done. Only one pick this week. At Sony, so we can decide where we want to hey, go there. It's only up from here. It's only up from here. I sure hope so. I mean, it's either up or level. There's, I mean, there's no down. <laughs> it's not down. <laughs> there's no down. So, uh, another great tournament, Kapalua. Any any final thoughts before we move on from Kapalua? Go ahead, Tony. Yeah, so I, w- I want to get on to what we were talking about earlier about uh, if it's a penalty to ask for what club oh, you hit yeah, afterwards. Yeah. So, here's, <coughs> excuse me, here's what the rules of golf technically define as at giving advice, which advice is what gives you the two-stroke penalty. Any verbal comment or action, such as showing what club was just used to make a stroke, that that is intended to influence a player in choosing a club, making a stroke, or deciding how to play during a hole or round. Now, see, that just goes into the interpretation of the rules because, yeah. to me, asking what club someone hit after a hole's played would not fit in any three of those categories. But I could see why someone would think that it would. Yeah, I guess it depends if I like if you and I are out playing an eighteen hole tournament or something. I could see how, and again, this is golf rules are so subjective. You can make the argument that if you knew what a guy hit on a par three on Thursday, and then you go out and it's playing in the exact same conditions on Friday, that but it's that's advantageous. Not the, that's but, not the same round though, so it's entire. That's why, like you, can, okay, like you can yeah. use different clubs on. Friday's round and you did Thursday round. They're entirely different. Okay, innings. so then why do they word these rules so just ambiguous? Just tell us the rule. You can't ask what club the guy hit before you tee off. Once everybody on the holes hit, you're walking toward the green. Why does it matter? 
Why, why make the rule that subjective? I think that's the ruling everyone would come to, but why make it that subjective and ambiguous where you have to dig through the weeds to determine, well, what's this guy think and what's this guy think? It's dumb. It's stupid. You know, with the way Golf Channel presented the way these rules, it's almost like people don't want people to play or watch golf. That's what it seems like. It's like, hey, whatever we can do to scare people away, to make it as complicated and as boring as possible, let's do that. And that's pretty much what the USGA is doing. By the way, I just got distracted because I'm looking at our one-and-done pool in the standings. There's a gentleman in fourth place. Name is Lunch Meat Assassin. <laughs> should, we, should we track Lunch Meat Assassin's picks throughout the season? We should. We should. I don't even know who this is. He might He might be a listener. A lot of these people are local. Uh, he had Cam Smith and Sam Burns this week. Well done, Lunch Meat Assassin. Enjoy yourself a deli sandwich today for lunch. Dude, some people come well, up with some clever-ass names, man. That's tough that he used Sam Burns for a 19th-place finish. Uh, yes, it is, because Sam Burns is going to have a lot of wins this year. He's already outside the week. top ten. That didn't last long. You're right. He's no longer a top ten player in the world. Uh, by the way, another OWGR update that we should give out today. Victor Hovland, go pokes, highest world ranking of his career. He moves all the way up from seven to six. Xander goes from six to seven. So Victor Hovland, now the sixth-ranked player in the world. Still Rom and Morikawa, one, two. But Rom has created more than a point gap now between himself and Morikawa. And that's just the difference of finishing second and T5 this week because Morikawa goes 62 on Sunday. So he still finished inside the top five, but he lost ground in the world ranking to John Rom. So that'll be a, a fun. There little... were a bunch of, yeah, go ahead. Weren't there a bunch of scenarios where Morikawa could have, you know, taken over the number one player in the world this this week? Yeah, most likely he would have needed to finish first or second and had Rom finish outside, like, the top five, top ten, depending on how high he finished. But since Rom finished so high, even if Morikawa would have won, Rom would have stayed the number one player in the world with a solo second finish, So, which is what he ended up having. Yeah. So, But anyway, Morikawa finishes nine back, T5. Tyler, what you got? Um, going on to what we were talking about earlier with the trivia question, it says right here, Jack Nicholas didn't care what the three coins were in his pocket as long as he had three that were jingling. That's No, that makes it worse. That's that makes th- it worse that this sociopath is throwing three random <laughs> coins in his pocket. Isn't there a big difference he, between he a silver dollar and a penny? He had to play against Seve, and Seve was jingling coins, so it was just kind of what they did back then, back in the dinosaur days. <laughs> I mean, back then, that was dinosaur. That was probably their winnings from the previous tournament, three coins. <laughs> <laughs> I did see a tweet where Jack Nicholas made $33 at his first tournament. Dear God, the times have changed. But, and, but, and, shout out, expenses? and Jack's a big part of that. He paved the way. Arnie paved the way. Gary moves some sand. Paved the way. Um, <laughs> literally paved the way. <laughs> Lit- hey, right. literally explain what you way. mean by that to our listeners. Taylor sent a highlight from like the 1974 Open where it's the last hole and Gary Player's up against some hotel and there's a bunch of dirt behind <laughs> his ball and he just takes his putter and sweeps it away. Now, was that illegal back then? Was that illegal back then? No, see, see Colby, made a good, that- Colby made a good point because he asked if that was uh, back then. You do too, Sam. But now we're getting into this. Was it legal for the RNA in 1974? Because now we got RNA and USGA rules batting each other. So I have no idea. Also, where was Gary Player at? He was leading by like four on 18. I mean, he looks like he's in the middle of Scotland. He looks like he's about to walk inside <laughs> to somebody's house and have dinner. Well, he, he, his playing competitors were the sheep, the local sheep. So that's where they were staying. It was uh, literally for people that haven't seen it. Imagine Gary Player literally taking a shovel and digging out a perfect lie behind his ball. 
I, I mean, honestly, I, I'm not accusing him of anything. I'm just watching the video. It's a good strategy. In 1974, I mean, what are they going to do? Get somebody to hop on Twitter and call you out? That's- <laughs> Literally, the fans behind Gary Player had to clean the sand out of their shoes from how much dust he he flicked back at them. They couldn't even call in on the broadcast. It probably wasn't broadcast live, and most people watching probably didn't have phones. Such this a is simpler, terrible. Such a simpler this time. is terrible. Why are we picking on the old so much? I mean, Gary Player won nine majors. Pave the way, literally. He won't move any trees, but he's he's not afraid to move some sand. All right, we need to move on. We need to move on. We're going to keep dogging on the old forever. Uh, We need to talk briefly before we get out of here, guys. Mike Wan was the LPGA commissioner for a long time, and he did great things for the LPGA. Uh, A more full schedule, better purses, more sponsors, all that stuff. And there was some really good news that came out of the golf world late last week as the U.S. Women's Open has added a new presenting sponsor. Uh, I believe it was ProMedica. Uh, yeah, ProMedica right here, a mission-based, not-for-profit, integrated healthcare organization. So this is now going to be the presenting sponsor of the U.S. Women's Open. It's allowing them to double the purse from $5 million a year ago to $10 million this year. The idea being that by 2025, that purse will be $12 million. For reference, the purse for the U.S. Men's Open last year was $12.5 million. This is a big Big deal for the LPGA, and the the reason I brought up Mike Wan, LPGA commissioner for a long time, he is now the new head of the USGA, and this is a wildly popular move as the women's game continues to get more TV time, more coverage, more fans, more support. It, it, It really is growing. It grew under Mike Wan, and now with him as the head of the USGA, they're going to be playing for a lot more money at the US Open, and like you mentioned when we talked about it in the break, Taylor, also some phenomenal courses on the list. I don't know, do you have it in front of you? I know a few of them off the top of my head, but do you have the list in front of you of courses? Yes, yeah, I'll, I'll read through the, the main ones here. So 2023, we're going to Pebble Beach. 2024, going to Lancaster, which is in Pennsylvania. That's a very underrated golf course. Uh, 2025, Aaron Hills. 2026, Riviera. 2027, Inverness. 2028, Oakmont Country Club. 2029, Pinehurst. And, and by the way, in 2029, men's and women's U.S. Opens will be contended at Pinehurst number two in back-to-back weeks. And they did that in 2014, but... Is it the men's that's first? I would assume that has to be the case. I would believe. I think the men's is first, but I, I actually don't know. I, uh, I yeah, I, I don't even know if they would have the schedule for, for which comes first out. But I would Last time it, the women's was first, wasn't was it? it? I, I honestly cannot remember off the top of my head. Or am I, I thinking Am I thinking of college golf? Um, yeah, I know that the women's national championship comes first. Yeah, I really, I honestly don't know. Let's, I don't know. I'll find out. One second. Yeah, I can't remember. Didn't they, have, uh, didn't they have Oakland Hills in there as well? Let's see. Let's see. The 2014 was played June 12th to 15th. That was the men's. So let's see if the women's was before or after that. Yeah, but Mike Wan's doing a great job with the USDA. Week after. So women's was week after? Yeah. Okay. June 19th through the 22nd. So we, I mean, and hell, we don't know if they're going to do the same thing in 2029, but uh, you would think that that'd probably be the way they would go. But of course, gets so beat up, man, for playing a tournament. I'm surprised they did that originally. It must have went well because they're doing it again. I wonder if, and I don't know course setup I, off the top of my head at Pinehurst, you think that the men and women are hitting it in such different spots that they're not making divots in the same places in the fairway? For the fairways, yes. The greens is what got me. Yeah, true. Because um, the U.S. Open men's isn't like Augusta. There's 160 players in the field. Yeah, true. And they dry the course out. They get it running mega fast, as fast as they can anyway, and still have it playable. 
and then play again next week for the women. I mean, I do think it's it's good from a public perspective of getting to see the men and women on the same course in back-to-back weeks for the same event because it's kind of intriguing to see how they play it. Um, but it, it definitely is interesting in terms of a how does the course play. So that'll be interesting to see. But again, 2029. What, what were the next couple courses on the uh, list? Uh, like you mentioned, Kobe, uh, Oakland Hills, 2031. And then uh, Mary and Sam, 2034. That's going to be really fun. Very nice. Very that'll nice. That'll be nice. Yeah. So shout out to Mike Wan doing great things with the USGA. Uh, big, big story there over the weekend as the U.S. Women's Open is becoming Wait, a much bigger deal. 2034. 2034. Layla's going to play in that. Hey, Layla could be a phenom now. Layla's going to be here three months from yesterday is the due date. Layla's going to be a phenom. Mike Wallen's going to have Layla playing for a bunch of money 20 years from now. Can I book a hotel for 2034 for you guys already? They, uh, they allow bookings out that far? I'm, Taylor, we're going to player accommodations. This is We don't need a hotel book. That's a good point. I'm just trying to get everything set up. Well, I need a hotel because I'm going to go watch. Because so. I assume I'll be on the bag. I mean, you got to have a caddy, right? That's a good point. Actually, my body's going to be so broken down 12 years from now, there's no way I'm going to be on the bag. You being a caddy for your daughter would be like the funniest thing ever. That would be so awesome. <laughs> It'd be great, wouldn't it? Oh, you did a great job I just for can't me. Wait. Hey, I just can't wait till she turns like thirteen and starts out driving Colby. It won't. It won't take near thirteen years for her to outdrive Colby. <laughs> <laughs> it, it depends if I'm one of these people who just like accept the fact that you lose all your speed as you age, or if I'm one of these forty-five-year-olds that's like grinding over the speed sticks, trying to make sure you keep every yard possible. By the way, the century's on in the background as Taylor and I are recording here, Sam. John Rum obliterated that five wood on eighteen. He carried that what fifteen yards further than he meant to because he was nuked up on adrenaline. Oh yeah, it it almost landed on like the back half of the green, it, and he almost made that putt from off the green too, boys. I mean, he gave it a good run, and hell hell of a putt from Cam Smith from like a hundred feet on that hole as well. That was clutch, yeah. and I'm surprised no Begay didn't come on and say John Rum healed it or shanked it or something with the, with the fact that he didn't hit it to five feet with a five wood. Uh, just a devastating miss there from John Rum. Really, really eliminates yeah. him from contention at the tournament. Yeah, what a terrible putt from Cam Smith from a hundred feet to not put it stone dead for the win. I mean, if you can't get it inside eighteen inches, you, you need to work on your putting. Uh, one thing I, I got <laughs> I got to rant about this. This is this is real quick. It was th- I think it was Thursday. Spieth was on 18th hole. He was four under par. He's in the middle of the fairway. He cold blood toe hooks this three wood so bad. It it ends up 40 yards short of the ravine of clearing. Oh, God. And he's like yelling at people saying, hey, did it clear? Did it clear? I can't see it. (laughs) Spieth, you're 50 yards short. No, it didn't freaking clear. Hit your shot and hurry up. By the way, to my point about the 18th fairway at Kapalua, you, you mentioned... Hideki did miss it left. I think that's the only ball that was lost off the tee at Kapalua this week was on Friday from Hideki. Maybe it was Thursday. I can't remember. Missed it left. Phil hit the biggest hook off the 18th tee on Friday. I mean, there's just no way that this thing stays in play on the right. It's got to go out of bounds. It's in the middle of, of, of Maui. It might be in the ocean. Nope, we're two yards right of the fairway. Light rough. Ball sitting up on a tee. It's just... You you can't you can't miss it there, Phil. I promise he had to have missed his line by eighty yards. He had to have. Sam, how wide is that fairway? Legit. It, legit. It has to be the fairway. I mean, it's dead sloped right to left, but the fairway is probably fifty yards wide. But you have another thirty yards on the other side of you know on the right side and the right rough that's not deep rough, and so you can miss it pretty almost like 70 yards right of the middle of the fairway and be fine. I, I'm having a hard time believing that that fairway is only 50 yards wide. 
Uh, <laughs> we can hit it with the old Google Earth. It's got the the hole is called Mile Wide. It's called Mile Wide. This is it. Yeah. it I, I basically Google how wide is the 18th fairway at Kapalua, and this this article about why it's one of the best popped up. I'm trying to see if it actually says in this article, and then and then we'll get out of here. Um, Google Earth it. Google Earth it. Oh, I got the Google Earth right here. I just got to wait to load. I was at Sand Hills, Nebraska before. Now we're going to Hawaii. Sand Hills, Nebraska. What were you? Now that is a golf nerd's phone right there. Because that I is love, a golf nerd's phone. Because I love golf courses, dude. I, Here, I, I mean, what's in Sand Hills, Nebraska, though? The, the best, one of the top ten golf courses in the world. Really? Sand Hills. Yeah, it's Hills. called Sand Hills. Yeah. I mean, I've heard, of, I've heard of Sand Hills. I didn't know it was a top ten course in the world. Oh yes, it's yeah. Where Where in the world is this course? I I, I went to Kapalua and I can't find the hole because they got how many courses do they have out there, Sam? They have two. Okay, well, I'm, so, I'm, I'm debating between two here. Give me a second. <laughs> Give me a second. Y'all, y'all talk about something while I find this. Talk amongst ourselves. Yeah. Th- this uh, this might be the best content that we've ever produced. Searching the Google. Hey, by the way, Colby, yeah, we, we, we should, it, here in this little break here, we should talk about the craziness of last night's football game. Oh, my God. Yeah, y'all getting in. That was the craziest thing you, I ever You seen. had the tweet of the night last night. It's, uh, oh, here we go. 83 yards wide, 300 yards from the tee. There we go. 300 yards from the tee. It is 83 yards wide. That's beautiful. That's absolutely beautiful. Uh, you had the tweet of the night last <laughs> night, Sam. It. You said the Chargers offered good good, and the Raiders said absolutely not. 83.4 <laughs> <laughs> Yep, there we go. 83.4 yards. Wild. That they, It really was. The, the Raiders were like, good good? Or the Chargers said good good, and the Raiders ran it down their throats and kicked the field goal. It was, it was the most now, exciting the, football game of the season. The Raiders would have... M- I think they would have needed it if they hadn't called timeout, if the Chargers hadn't called timeout. I think they still would have run it up the middle, but I don't know. It was I understand, I think, what Saley was trying to do. Call the timeout, set the defense, don't give up a yard so that they can't kick it. We'll make them punt, and it just didn't work out. But anyway, it, uh, <laughs> it was a phenomenal game. Uh, Natty tonight, I, I've got two questions. Sam, you first. First question, do you care about tonight's game? Second question, who wins? Yes. All yes, right, I, I care immensely uh, because I may or may not have a few pieces on Alabama plus three. Can y'all tell me why Georgia's favored in this game? Aren't they favored by three? Uh, it might have gone down to two and a half, but yeah, it's, it's been hovering at three I mean, most of the week. Did you see what Georgia did to Michigan? They should be the favorite, and, it, and I love it because Bama then I Georgia? get to bet on Nick Saban. Huh? Did you see what Bama did to Georgia? <laughs> yeah, I did. But what I'm saying is now I get – I love it because now I get to bet on Nick Saban plus three in a national championship game. So, free money. And that means that Georgia's your national champion, everybody. Free money. So minus three, minus 107. So, it's kind of leaning towards two and a half, but staying at three. I, it's just so weird. And, and I keep saying this. Georgia had nothing to play for in the SEC championship game. Nothing. So, I understand why people are saying it, but I just – Vegas knows something we don't in this opinion because has Saban ever lost to a assistant coach? Like ever? Yeah, um, it happened this year. A and M. Oh, Jimbo. Is Jimbo a, a Saban guy? Is he in the Saban tree? He is. I think I, so. Yeah, he is. Yeah. How did I not know he was in the Saban tree? Probably because it's been so long. 
I keep, I keep thinking Jimbo's at Florida State. That's how long it's been. All right, we're rambling. We'll let our listeners go for the day. Thanks, everybody, for listening to the 73rd Hole. We're back Wednesday. We will preview Sony. We will have Sam fire out more winners for the Sony. It can only go up from here. Thanks, everybody, for listening once again to the 73rd Hole, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma.